Thank you, Madison. That there is the secret to life. <laughs> Whatever comes your way is to, to trust in the Lord, not lean on our own understanding. At this time, the kids are dismissed to their program. Well, you see, I'm just a little confused because my thing doesn't say what it does up there, but it probably will soon. All is good. Okay, I'm back with you. Um, so life, life can be kind of interesting, surprising, and sometimes downright confusing. Anybody can relate to this? Okay, some of you can. Thank you, Carlos, in the back row there. Thank you. <clears throat> you think the ones in the back row are sleeping, but sometimes they're on top of things. So it can be especially confusing when we have these uh, ideas or expectations about things, how things should work, and then they don't work like that at all. And one of those big ways is when we see people getting what they don't deserve. Like, I didn't think life was supposed to work like this. Like when we see uh, nice kids get cancer, and then jerks win the lottery. Or we see godly parents that end up with rotten kids, or rotten parents that end up with godly kids. Or honest people get fired from their jobs, and dishonest people get promoted. Sometimes we see these things happen. You're like, well, this isn't, this isn't fair. People are getting what they don't deserve. And I think it results in sometimes this attitude of, uh, God, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> Where, where's God in this? What is he up to? And the confusion is really compounded uh, when we don't understand the big picture of what God is up to, kind of what's his underlying uh, driving principle. Where is he taking the story of history What's his real priority? And so we get jerked around. We get disappointed if we think uh, or if we have a wrong idea about what God is up to. Like, for instance, if we think primarily God helps those who help themselves, and we look around how things actually pan out, we'll be pretty disillusioned. Or if we think that God's just out there to sort of uh, enhance my life. Or if we think God is out there to help good people get to heaven. Or any other number of things that are maybe kind of commonly held. Uh, We'll be really confused when we see how life actually pans out and how all around us, it seems, people are getting uh, what they don't deserve. But God actually has revealed what he's up to. Uh, the big story of where he's taking history, you might say uh, the, the meta-narrative uh, the grand plan of God has been revealed to us uh, in his word. And in fact, one of those places where it's talked about is in the book of Ezekiel that we've been studying over the last several weeks. And here's uh, kind of the scene of what's happening, is that God's people, called by his name, uh, came to complete ruin and exile because of centuries of disregarding the Lord, their God. He brought them to disaster. The, the Jerusalem fell. Uh, they were taken captive into Babylon. And those are the people that Ezekiel's actually uh, talking to. And then all these surrounding nations who had either uh, gloated in or contributed in uh, the downfall of, of God's people, uh, Ezekiel has some harsh words from the Lord to say to them. Well, then now we come to chapters 35 and 36. And all of, all of chapter 35 of Ezekiel and the first part of 36 um, to verse 7, God has a prophecy against 
the mountain Seir, which is in the land of Edom. It really stands for the whole uh, area of Edom, the mountain. So Ezekiel's prophesying against uh, mountains, which might seem a little strange, but you can follow along. And here's the gist of it. Um, I'm just going to mention a couple verses in, in chapter 35. Verses 3 and verses 5 um, say this. It says, I will stretch out my hand against you and will make you a desolation and a waste. Why? Because you cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity. And so God uh, sends his prophecy against the, the mountains of Edom, and his basic message is uh, you're going to come to ruin because of your ongoing uh, enemy or enmity against uh, my people and how you contributed to their downfall right when they most needed help. So he has, he has a lot to say about that in, in chapter 35, the beginning of 36. And then in chapter 36, verse 8, he starts talking to different mountains. He has a prophecy toward the mountains of Israel. And here's what he says uh, in verse 8. But you, mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people, for they will soon come home. And in that verse and following, uh, Ezekiel paints this glorious picture of what the Lord revealed to him about a complete reversal of fortunes for God's people. And uh, it says things like this in the the verses that follow. The whole house of Israel will return. Um, All those tribes that are scattered all over the place, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, they'll all come back. The ruins uh, will be rebuilt. You know, they just got news that uh, Jerusalem's wall had been, you know, breached and torn apart and, and had fallen. It'll be rebuilt. The people and even the animals will flourish. Um, then it says that it's going to be better than it ever was before. And it says that all the shame and disgrace will be wiped away. It's so Ezekiel says these glorious things are going to happen in the land of Israel. Those mountains that used to represent, you know, very dark and sad things will be, will be the glory of the world. It'll be the most impressive place around. This is what God promises is going to happen. Completely changed, flip-flop the fortunes of Israel. It's very unexpected and it's undeserved. <laughs> and it might uh, bring question to mind, uh, okay, why? Uh, we've been studying and looking at... Um, First, when we went through the book of Kings, and then now in Ezekiel, we see the track record of God's people who, uh, who did uh, horrible things and kept going back to those horrible things. And we think, uh, with that kind of record, why is God going to do this glorious thing with them? Or we might wonder from kind of a, a New Testament perspective of, uh, is, isn't God just done with Israel? Now that was kind of his old thing, and now it's a church thing, and he's, he's moved on to the New Testament. Or uh, they had their chance. Um, why? Why is God going to do these things? Well, as I pondered that, I thought we could ask the same questions about ourselves. <laughs> why in the world does God promise such glorious things for his people like us when we don't deserve it? Why does God put up with us? Why does he promise to never leave us and he promises to finish what he started and he promises to transform us by degrees into, into the image of his son? Why does he restore the prodigal that's wandered so far? 
Why does he forgive the unforgivable? Why does God promise restoration beyond what we deserve? And the answer to all these things we see in the book of Ezekiel and throughout scriptures is this. For the sake of his glory. God restores far beyond what we deserve. This, I suggest, is uh, the big picture of, of all of scriptures, is what God is doing for his own glory. And specifically, for the sake of making his glory known among the peoples. So this morning, in the time we have together, we're going to look uh, at the rest of chapter 36. Uh, and there's this divine problem, you might uh, say, concerning God's glory. Then we'll look at the divine solution and the divine promise, and then finally this uh, divine result. If you're following along in your, your notes, uh, there's an outline uh, in your bulletin for that. Ezekiel 36, 16 to the end of the chapter. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you or you don't have a Bible on your device, uh, there are some Bibles scattered in the pews in front of you, and this is on page 724 uh, in those pew Bibles. I think a key verse in this whole section is verse 21 of chapter 36, and it says, I had concern for my holy name. This kind of summarizes uh, what God is saying in this whole section. Like, you know what this is about? This is about my holy name. That's what I'm concerned about. Verse 21. And so we see this talk of God's glory and God's name. And God's glory, you know, sometimes when we, we use religious words so much, we start to forget what they mean. But essentially, glory is the weightiness of something, the significance of something, the value of something. And when we talk about God, it's, it's unfathomable. It's infinite how weighty, how significant God is. So God's glory is his significance. And God's name, well, sometimes it's talking about his actual like, proper name or how you refer to him, but primarily in the Bible, God's name is his reputation, his renown, you might say. It's the way, uh, it's, it's the um, making his glory known, it's the fame of our, of our king and God, his renown. So God's glory is his significance, and God's name is his renown. And I believe I mentioned before as we go through uh, Ezekiel that time again, time and time and time again, uh, he uses this same little comment to bring us back to the main point. He uses it about 70 times in the book, and we see it again in this chapter. And it says, the point of all this is so they will know that I am the Lord. So the great theme of Ezekiel and, and perhaps the whole Bible is that we would know <laughs> that God is God. We would come to grasp his significance, his weightiness, uh, his glory. So when we ask the question of, okay, what's God up to with the rise and fall of nations, with, with blessings and calamity, with judgment, with restoration, with all these things, what is he up to? He's doing his work in the world so that we will know that he is the Lord. Uh, verse 23 says that the whole point of all this is so that the nations will know that I am the Lord. All the people groups in the world, the goal is that they would know that God is is God. The Lord's renown will spread through the earth. 
And I imagine an objection could come up at this point uh, in our minds, especially since last week um, we, we looked at uh, chapter 34 and we saw how the distinguishing feature of King Jesus is that he is a selfless king. He is uh, laying down his life for the sheep. And uh, that's what makes him really different than, than human leaders who all tend toward a selfishness in their, in their power. So King Jesus is selfless, and now we're saying that, uh, that God is really looking out for his own glory. And these things might seem like they're contradictory. And so as, as I was thinking about it, um, I, I thought of this little scenario. I, I don't know if this helps you or not, but picture a, uh, a tour bus out in the middle of the boonies, you know, far from anything, and it, uh, and it crashes. It's like a 50-passenger bus with a bunch of people on them. And a bunch of people are really uh, kind of badly injured. Uh, some just bumps and bruises, but some with, you know, kind of more serious injuries and broken bones and such. And it just happens that a world-class uh, ER doctor is on the bus. And so in the midst of all this chaos and people, you know, injured and trying to help each other out, uh, this doctor stands up and says, hey, I'm a, I'm a doctor. Uh, does anybody need help? Imagine the response if people said, well, la-di-da, so you're a doctor. Well, you know, I'm an attorney, or I'm an actress, or I'm a bodybuilder. Um, totally missing the point. The best thing that could happen is for them to know the credentials of the doctor. It's like, I'm, I'm the one that could help you. It's not arrogant for God to be concerned for his glory. It's the best thing for us when God is concerned with his glory. In fact, I would say the best thing that can happen to you is to encounter God's glory. And the best thing you could do in life is to promote God's glory. By the way you live, by the things you say, by the things you do, is to promote God's glory. Okay, so let's look first at the problem with God's glory that starts in verse 16. What is the problem? And I think basically it's this, is that God's name is disgraced. There's a whole lot of disgracing of God's name going around. Here's, here's what happened. Verse 16, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and by their deeds. Their ways before me, they were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them. Two reasons, because of the blood they'd shed in the land and also for the idols with which they had defiled it. And so here's the problem is that God's people were disgracing God's reputation by living these uh, unrepentant, filthy lives. And uh, they were just persisting in that uh, to the point where they were just openly idolatrous and they were killing people and all these terrible things were happening. And uh, God had to act and do something. His name was being disgraced. And so, what does he do in verse 19? So, I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. This, this is what the Lord had to do for the sake of his name. He, he, he dealt with his people. But now there is a new problem, a new divine problem in verse 20. It says, uh, 
But when they came to the nations, you know, when the people were, uh, were taken out of the land and scattered and they were in exile or dispersed, when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name in that, in that the people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of this land, out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned, profaned among the nations to which they came. So the first problem was that uh, people called by God's name, living filthy lives, going on and on that way, uh, that uh, is a disgrace to God's name. And so he deals with them. Now, people called by God's name uh, met this utter ruin and are scattered among, among the nations. And now the nations are saying, see, God doesn't care. God can't take care of his own people. Look, they got kicked out of the land. And so now God's name is still disgraced. Well, we have... Uh, this problem still today. Here's, here's the relevance. There's two problems. When people called by God's name live unrepentant, filthy lives, but continue to prosper, then the world will draw wrong conclusions about God. So say you call yourself a Christian, you go around telling people that, you're like, hey, I go to the Baptist church, and then you live like this really rotten life, and you're mean to your neighbors, and you, you, you lie and swear and steal things. Uh, and that just goes on and on, and you, and you prosper, and you get, you get rich, and everything just works great in your life. What are people bound to think about God? They'll probably draw some wrong conclusions. Either uh, God doesn't really care about the wicked things, or maybe uh, God can't do anything about it, or maybe God doesn't even exist, or maybe uh, God likes these things, and that's really what God is like. They might draw all kinds of wrong conclusions. But then... What about when God's people experience perpetual ruin and shame? Where generations go by and the people called by God's name are, are uh, perpetually ruined. It has a similar problem where the nations look and say, well, I'm not going to follow their God. Their God is no help at all. Their God's not real. Their God's not, uh, not powerful. Their God doesn't even exist. Their God's not worth following. And so we have this same tension, this same dilemma. And that is that God's name is being disgraced. Kind of for both reasons, God's name gets disgraced. So what is God's solution? In the verse, next verses, verses 22 and 23, we see that God will act for the sake of his glory. And God clearly explains that the core reason for this promise of these dramatic changes in the fortunes of his people um, are, are for his glory. So verse 22 and 23 says this. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So God is going to do something about um, the disgraces that have come to his name. And so when we look at uh, Israel and Judah's track record, we might wonder, do they really deserve such special treatment? And we look at ourselves and we wonder, uh, 
do I really deserve such special treatment? But we come to this, these verses that we just read, and we realize that uh, it's not really about us. It's not because we deserve it or we don't deserve it. It's for the sake of God and his glory. So going back to our little uh, tour bus uh, accident, um, I'm just picturing all these people standing around and trying to decide what to do with this guy who claims he's the doctor. And maybe people are saying, you know, oh, who, who knows, he might be just crazy, don't let him touch you. But there's one woman with a compound fracture, you know, her femur sticking out of the side of her leg, and she's desperate enough to say, okay, I'm just going to take my chance, help me out. And the, the ER doctor just expertly resets that bone and... and Put the, whatever doctor would do, Hanny would know, um, fi- fixes her right up. And this is very, to very great benefit for this woman, isn't it? This is fantastic. She, she met uh, someone that's able to help her. But the more profound effect is now the rest of the people on the bus realize where their help comes from. So this is what happens when God transforms a life. Is it really great for us when we meet Jesus? Yeah, it's fantastic. It, it changes our life. But the bigger effect that happens is that the world starts to know who God is. The world starts to realize where true help comes from. And the renown, the fame of of the true God starts to spread. And it's fantastic. It's incredible. So the problem is that God's name is disgraced. And the solution is that that God's going to act for the sake of his glory. He he does it all the time. And he's going to ultimately do it in, in some ultimate ways. So Ezekiel assures us God is going to do something incredible, though undeserved, and he will do it for the sake of his name. And so what does he promise to do? Uh, In particular, as we read this chapter, we see that God will gloriously restore Israel. He makes these really incredible promises. Uh, There's at least seven things that God, he says, just I'm going to do these things. I will this, I will that. And in these promises, uh, there, there's some fulfillment as they return from Babylon, but not, not all of these things. You might say there's hints of fulfillment. And there's certainly echoes of fulfillment when Christ comes and he does some of these things uh, in, his, in his followers and in spiritual ways. But ultimately, I, I think the best understanding is that there's a fulfillment yet to come. So look at some of these things starting in verse 24 that God promises to do. And you'll see these same things scattered throughout all the, all the prophetic books. Uh, verse 24, God says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. So God says, I'm, I'm going to regather all the descendants of Abraham that are scattered all over the place uh, and bring them into their own land. Um, Mentioned last week some incredible things uh, happened uh, in the late 40s of Israel becoming an actual nation. But still, uh, the bulk of, uh, of descendants of Jewish people don't live in that area. In fact, there's about the same number in the United States as there are in, in Israel. And so they're, they're scattered uh, all over the place. One day he'll regather. Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. This doesn't mean that God's just going to go pour water on people. It's talking about a ceremonial cleansing, talking about forgiveness. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you, 
and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So God talks about a time to come when his people will just from the inside out be totally transformed because God's put his spirit in them. And it won't be this outside uh, um, coercion to do what's righteous, but it will come from, from inside. Um, verse uh, 28, And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. You know, this settling down in the, the land given to the patriarchs. Verse 29, I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no more famine on you, and I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. It goes on and on about the abundant fruitfulness of the land. No more famine and no more, no more shame. And then verse 31, and, and then when these things happen, you will remember your evil ways, and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves for the iniquities and your abominations. So there'll be this genuine sense of, uh, of remorse over sin. Then the conclusion of this uh, section, verse 32, it is not for your sake that I will act. Again, he keeps coming back to this. Declares the Lord God, let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. So the point is, it's not for your sake that I'm going to act, it's for God's sake. And the response is to be ashamed and confounded for your ways. Like, oh my goodness, what have I been doing all this time? And so I think the questions that we want to ask ourselves are questions like, is my life uh, detracting from God's renown? <laughs> are the things I'm doing uh, taking away or, or are they disgracing uh, God's name? Because remember, the best thing that can happen to you is to encounter God's glory. And the best thing you could do in life is to promote God's glory. I might even say that one more time before I'm done today. So the promise is that God will gloriously restore Israel. But it's not really even about Israel per se. What is the end result of all this? Look, finally. The result is that God's glory will be recognized by all. That, that's where the story is headed, verses 33 to the end. And, and the whole book uh, story. Verses 33 to 38 describe this really idyllic, uh, Eden-like conditions, and the whole point is this in verse 36. Then the nations, you know, all the nations of the world, that are left all around you shall know that I am what? I am the Lord. He comes back to that again and again. Uh, I love this section in Isaiah 40. We looked at in our small groups recently. It says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. It's like, bam! And one day a day will come when it will be obvious to everybody who is the king. God's renown right now is spreading as his kingdom spreads. As more and more people trust in him and believe in him and, and follow him, his, his fame is spreading in really sometimes obscure places in the world. But one day, his glory will be obvious to everybody. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue 
will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so our primary task on this earth, I suggest, is to spread the Lord's renown. Because the best thing that can happen to you is to encounter God's glory. (laughs) And the best thing you could do is to promote His glory. So there's an interesting guy, I don't know if you've heard of him, Stephen Hawthorne. Uh, He is probably one of the, um, of our time, one of the the greatest thinkers about, about missions and global evangelism, the spread of the gospel in the world. And uh, he says, really, the unifying, um, underlying, big umbrella idea that encompasses uh, world evangelism is God's glory. And it, it is the story of God's glory being made known. So uh, sometimes we see, you know, meeting physical needs, and preaching the gospel as kind of uh, conflicting goals, but he suggests these are just uh, two means to the same goal, which is uh, God's glory. And uh, it's hard to pick just a a quote that summarizes the whole uh, idea that he's talking about, but but this is close. He says, "Uh, world evangelism is for God. (laughs) It's common for people to work out of a concern for the predicament of people, either to see them saved from hell or to see them serve to communal wholeness or both. Such compassion is biblical and it's necessary. However, our love for people takes on balance and power when our overriding passion is for God to be honored. The big, big story is about God's glory. So, as we conclude, I just want to um, draw a connection with our conversation we've been having about um, an essential part of living the Christian life is, uh, is to restore the world around us by the way we relate to other people with integrity and goodness and by sharing the good news. The whole point of it is for God's glory. These are not uh, three competing things but there's three ways to do one thing, and that's uh, to promote God's renown. Uh, this is how Jesus, when he walked the earth, he did it. When we studied Mark this past year, he went around uh, being good, doing good, and, uh, and speaking the good news of, of the kingdom, all for God's glory. So think about how this actually works out. Uh, integrity, that's when we talk about just living righteous lives, you know, following, following how God's asked us to live. Um, when you live righteous lives in an unrighteous world, think about, you know, in a work environment or a neighborhood environment, uh, you're the one who is living with integrity. People will draw conclusions about your God. Um, and his, uh, his renown will increase. Like, why is it that the Christians on my block are the ones that that are, are living, living right and being honest and etc. They're, they're not cheating. They're not lying. And God's name increases. That's what happens when we, when we live like God asks us to. How, how about goodness? This is that whole area of alleviating uh, human affliction around us. All kinds of things um, we could do along those lines, whether it's um, you know, cleaning up streets or or sending uh, bandages to Bangladesh, or all, all these different things who are involved in. People see that. They encounter that. And they think 
bigger, better thoughts about what God is like. It's like, oh, maybe this is what God is like. And his renown increases. People's estimation of God increases. But ultimately, when we share the good news about Jesus, how Jesus died so that we could be saved, we could have eternal life with him, and people come into the kingdom of heaven by trusting in Jesus, um, that is how his renown is spread across the globe. Because now others have joined with us. Others are doing these same things and living this way, and the kingdom grows, and, uh, and the renown and fame of God grows. The, his glory is made known. So, when we grasp this idea that God restores beyond what we deserve, then it frees us up to live with integrity and, and do acts of kindness and to share the good news regardless of whether we deem people deserving. Uh, none of us deserve it, and it's about God's glory. So if you look around at the people uh, you know, around you and are, are, uh, your response to them is based on whether or not you think they deserve it, then you're looking at this completely wrong. It's because uh, God's glory. And so he concludes this whole chapter uh, down verse 38 with this phrase that you may have become familiar with by now. He says, when I do all this, then they will know that I am the Lord. He says it again, just in case we missed that. The first 50 times he said it. So God's ultimate plan is that the world would comprehend his glory. And this should be our ultimate goal as well. If I could just boil it down to a little phrase, is this, uh, live to promote the Lord's renown. Whether that's uh, in, in your home, in your neighborhood, uh, at your job, you know, in, in the world, live to promote the Lord's renown. That more and more people would see how weighty, how significant, how glorious our, our God is, and they would come to, to worship him, because that's really what it's all about. Uh, let, let me pray for us as the team comes back up. Lord, you are so glorious. You, you're unbelievably significant, and uh, it, it's hard for us to under, understand or comprehend. In fact, we can't comprehend it, but we can get a, a taste of it as you show yourself to us. Lord, as we encounter you, I pray that that would just overwhelm us and inspire us and stir up our hearts to, to spread your renown um, in our neighborhoods and, and in the world, that we might be just anxious to, to represent you well, uh, anxious to go and tell the world of how wonderful you are. God, we, we just love you and are, are humbled that you would uh, restore us beyond what we deserve. And so we, we give you glory for that as well, and we do all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.